cover story podcast series in association with the indicas.com uh, my name is abhishek and uh, today i have with me to talk about this uh, issue's cover story over the phone the senior editor of forbes india s srinivasan from mumbai hi srini good to have you back again hi abhishek great to catch up with you thanks and uh, this time we also have mr sandeep vaslekar who is a terror expert and the president of strategic foresight group uh, think tank which among many other things uh, advises governments around the world on policy matters of national and international significance hi sandeep thank you very much for taking the time out for this pleasure to be with you abhishek thank you uh, shrini before we you know get started with the cover itself before reading the draft there is a question that i had is that so much news about terrorism on prime time as well as in almost every other magazine with gory images on the front pages as well as on the cover stories that there is a section which might say the why is forbes india joining that you know bandwagon if i may use the yeah. word very crassly why this why another cover on terrorism Oh, tell me about it. That was the same dilemma we faced when uh, the July 13 uh, bomb blasts in uh, Mumbai happened. There was corporate bombing of coverage by journalists across newspapers, magazines, and television channels. So you know we were debating, uh, you know, how can we add value without, uh, you know, adding to the noise? There's a lot of mindless coverage happening there. So you know we have to give something of value to the reader. How do we do that? And how do we do something fundamental which makes a difference to people's lives? we were debating it and kind of we approached uh, sandeep strategic foresight group is a think tank uh, which has enormous experience in studying terrorist groups across the world virtually every terrorist group has been studied by them and they have years of experience and you know a mass of data to allow the perspectives from right. so now we thought they are the ideal partners to kind of uh, have this debate with so we had a meeting quick meeting and uh, we realized that there are some fundamental structural flaws in the society and in fact you know if you look at uh, terrorist movements anywhere there are some common patterns and motives that uh, kind of repeat if we can explain these common patterns and uh, bust the myths that surround our response to terrorism that will be a, a good value addition you know the the overall theme is that we are probably treating the symptoms of the disease than the disease itself so let us go to the root of it so uh, that's why we could get sandeep to write this cover story and this will be kind of seen and read by everybody including the policy makers right you used a word there which was uh, myth and uh, i think we will talk a bit more about it in the next few minutes sandeep uh, you've lived in mumbai if i'm not wrong for a good part of your life for all my life okay so so as someone and also now sini just tells us that the, the amount of research that you must have done over the past so many years uh, in the subject of terrorism what was your first reaction and by that i mean your professional reaction when you heard the news of the blast going off on 13th in 13 july in mumbai i was in berlin and i suddenly started receiving calls from all over the world from europe from israel from uh, other parts of the middle east uh, and of course from uh, family and friends in mumbai mm-hmm. and i was not surprised we have been following patterns of terrorism around the world and of course we are specially concerned about what's happening in our own home country right and since the isi took a decision a conscious policy decision in 2001 2002 to expand the theater of operations from the jammu and kashmir state to urban centers in india we have expected that the terrorist attacks would take place from time to time mm-hmm. now there is a certain periodicity with which they happen 
a number of attacks took place in uh, 2003 a number of attacks took place in 2006 then a major attack took place in 2008 in fact i won't be surprised that considering that this attack was relatively small mm-hmm. if the isi is planning even more attacks around this time and they say that wherever one reads or sees uh, is that it, it it has been a big intelligence failure now how much of it is true and what's your opinion on that is that can all 100% terrorist strikes be foiled it is possible to anticipate acts of terror in general and take certain preventive steps but it is not possible to prevent every single attack i think intelligence agencies of india are doing a really fine job they are against very difficult odds on the other side it is the pakistan military which has waged a war against india by other means but they keep denying that fact yes but on the other side you have a military and uh, most of the terrorist attacks which are of large proportion are planned in the isi headquarters uh, by senior isi officers along with the advice from the military officers on our side to give the response you have civilian police and intelligence agencies so you have military on one side and you have uh, police on the other side there is a complete lack of symmetry between the two so what we are facing is an asymmetrical war and in an asymmetrical war it is it is difficult to prevent every single attack the, the way you made it sound and also the article it states is uh, you you are taking an objective view of this and uh, one of the myths that uh, sini was talking about or the edict as you like to mention in the article is that terrorism operates like uh, any other market and you talk about demand and supply curve can you explain that in, in some detail with an example yes absolutely uh, see we have studied that strategic foresight group uh, terrorist groups around the world from uh, extremist uh, groups in uh, north america including national alliance and uh, aryan nations which propagate terrorism in the name of christianity two groups in the philippines in the east so we have covered the whole span including africa middle east uh, south asia latin america almost all parts of the world and there are some common uh, factors that you can uh, discern when you look at the terrorist uh, groups and their operations uh, in different parts of the world and one of them is that terrorism functions just like any other market there, there is a demand and there is a supply the supply of young people who are ready to offer themselves as fodder for these acts of violence is further influenced by three drivers and uh, these three drivers are developmental imbalance democratic imbalance and dignity imbalance and if you cannot seek redressal of your grievances and if the political system and the judicial system is not able to give you justice so that is the democratic imbalance dignity imbalance refers to the way people are treated especially the people in conflict zone people who have grievances it's the harassment it's the insults to some extent in fact what happens in jammu kashmir can be kind of linked to dignity imbalance also there is this feeling that there are insults and harassment and you know loss of respect uh, there for the people so i think in jammu kashmir what is happening is there are certain kinds of activists who talk about human rights violations by indian security forces but i have been to jammu and kashmir on fact finding missions and i can say that by and large i mean these are all relative values but by and large the conduct of indian security forces has been quite honorable and by and large they have refrained from indulging in any kind of human rights violations but human rights and human dignity are two different things i believe that they are quite sensitive and they are being trained more and more to be respectful of human rights but human dignity compromise takes place through very small acts 
like uh, the way you conduct your investigation, the way you treat common people, but also dignity compromise takes place at a much larger level. The way chief ministers in Jammu and Kashmir were dismissed one after another over a period of last 50 years is something that is considered an insult by the people there. Right. And you also mentioned in the same vein that if, of course, not all is lost, and if the government can intervene before that demand and supply intersect to, to a point, then possibly we might have far lesser terrorist strikes. Uh, but then has India failed to intervene more often before that point of intersection, considering the... There, there, there are two opportunities for intervention. Mm -hmm. One is the preemption, and that's a very comprehensive exercise. I mean, that's about your state policy. That is not allowing the supply curve to grow at all. And that relates to the way the state is governed, that relates to the way the development uh, imbalance is reduced, and that relates to the way the judicial system and the political system functions and the dialogue opportunities are uh, provided. So that is something that you see in a country like Switzerland, that is something you see in a country like Finland, in a country like Denmark, uh, and even Norway, despite this uh, latest attack there. So there you don't have huge groups of young people wanting to join terrorist groups. So basically, there is not a great deal of supply, and that is happening because of your good governance. There is another point of intervention, mm -hmm. and that is in a place where terrorism is anyway happening, before the demand and supply curves intersect each other, there is a period which is when the terrorist groups undertake their logistical and surveillance operations. Uh -huh. And it is during this period, if you undertake counterintelligence and counter-surveillance activities effectively, you will be able to preempt terrorist attacks. Now, this does not depend on the government alone. It depends upon how various institutions cooperate with the government. For instance, hotels are a high-value target, and we saw that on 26-11, two years ago. Now, we have no idea at all to what extent the government had briefed the hotels to take security measures. We don't know to what extent these hotels bothered to take the security measures, uh, because it's always easy for uh, some of the business leaders to, uh, to criticize the government post-facto after something has happened. But there is no transparency or exposure or information to the public about uh, how their properties are uh, secured, protected, and if different norms are followed before the event takes place. Absolutely. One of the edicts of uh, the whole, whole story is that we are thinking about the last attack when the terrorist is thinking about the next attack. For instance, uh, if somebody carried dangerous liquids in the plane with an aim to blowing up the plane, we put a complete ban on uh, carrying liquids. The story itself says that in some cases where the mothers were not able to carry milk for their children. So that is how our reaction is. But the terrorist is not thinking of that now. Terrorist is not thinking of carrying liquids in a plane. He is probably thinking of something else, you know, radiological uh, attacks or, you know, something much more sophisticated, which we are not thinking of. So for us to effectively respond to terrorist threats, we should also be thinking about the future, forward-looking. We have to try to understand the mind of the terrorist and what will be, he be planning next. That, that proactive approach has to come in. You know, and it is not uh, impossible now. You know, science has uh, progressed so much that you can uh, bring in mathematical models to build uh, you know, uh, behavior patterns of terrorists and you can use uh, scenario-building techniques to predict and prevent future attacks. That is what we need to be doing rather than reacting merely to uh, past attacks. Right. And the article also states that more security does not necessarily mean more secure, which is an interesting point. But would you concede that a country like America or let's say London, uh, UK that is, they have been far more successful in avoiding another attack 
after a 911 or the 77 bombings that took place so are they doing something right with your experience sandeep that perhaps mumbai or india can learn from if it's not about security then they have done something more than that uh, well well you know you look at israel which is the most protected and most secure nation they have the most sophisticated counter terrorism apparatus in place a few years ago a university in israel undertook a survey and they found that 92% adults in israel feel insecure and worried about terrorist attacks so after creating an extremely sophisticated and complex uh, terrorist infrastructure if 92% adults feel insecure that shows the failure of their uh, counter terrorism infrastructure right secondly there have been a large number of terrorist attacks in israel despite all their security apparatus i believe over a, over the last few decades at least 1000 israeli citizens have been killed in terrorist attacks uh, i'm not including wars at all but these are direct uh, terrorist attacks on and and missile attacks sandeep so what about america and uh, uh. uk there haven't been any attacks there so. in us uh, what they did was they have introduced site security at the airport but they have introduced a number of measures within the country for example i mentioned earlier that uh, national alliance and aryan nation are two deadly terrorist organizations there that represent the right wing christian interest so the fbi decimated them completely before they could actually launch an attack so this is how they prevented the attack the moment they they anticipated that they they squeezed them financially they cut out all their links with the banks or any financial institutions uh, they created a strong disincentive in the minds of the followers who could join who could follow the leaders but they didn't get into a huge security apparatus there were other means that they used strong counter intelligence and counter surveillance mechanisms which they used just to add to the tabishek we cannot look at the terror threat of america or any other country just from the viewpoint of al qaeda or islamic groups that's a very wrong very incomplete and even a dangerous approach to take the islamic groups are not the only uh, terrorist groups in the world in fact if you look at uh, the 190 or so terror groups around the world hardly a fourth of them have claimed any religious ideology there are multiple ideologies multiple religions multiple excuses that these terror groups follow so america yes at least what we follow in the media seems to be largely revolving around al qaeda and some uh, islamic groups right. but uh, terrorism can come from anywhere like uh, sandeep has pointed out Uh, there is extreme right wing uh, christian terrorist organizations no uh, abhishek what happening in the us when the state department and the defense department and the white house they talk they talk about al qaeda because they are talking to the rest of the world right. but when fbi is concerned about uh, terrorism they think about the right wing christian uh, terrorism in the us because fbi is actually concerned about preventing terrorism so that is the difference between those who are involved in the propaganda side of the game and those who are involved in the prevention side of the game recently by recently i mean a few years ago there was in fact a plot on earth in belgium where right wing group was planning to bomb the parliament of belgium now this plot was unearthed by the state security of belgium and these people were taken into custody and the plot was foiled one of the worst terrorist organizations in the world which for us the worst it's lord resistance army in uganda and uh, it represents actually tribes it uh, was born out of genuine grievances of the actually tribals but today the lord resistance army or lra when it recruits young soldiers or young militants or young terrorists who are 17 18 years old the first thing they ask them to do is to go back to the village and kill their own mother and kill their own own sisters that is the first thing that a young terrorist recruit has to do in lra 
Now, LRA is trying to create a state in their version of biblical vision, which is, of course, not at all the real biblical vision, but it is their version. So the point is, terrorists are using whatever ideology they can find, whatever religion they can find, but in the end, it's really a power game. It's power that they are after, and it's money that they are after. We have said it in this speech is that terrorism is a huge business. On an average, most terrorist organizations, the leaders make about 70 to 80 percent of the revenue, and only 20 or 30 percent is spent on cadres. Lashkar-e-Toiba has a profit ratio of 65 percent for all the all its recruits who get killed in India. So it's an extremely profitable business. LTT until it was finished by the Sri Lankan government used to run a shipping agency specialized in contraband shipping and used to charge very heavy charges to all kinds of militant movements to carry their armaments and drugs and other kinds of illicit uh, material. So they are all involved in making huge amount of money. It's a power game. Uh, Prabhakaran could have easily become chief minister of Tamil Elam in an extremely federal structure with lots of autonomy, just with a nominal uh, confederation. The former Sri Lankan uh, leadership was all willing to offer it through Norwegian mediation, but he turned it down because he wanted unaccountable power. So that is what terrorism is, and that's what people should realize, that terrorism is not only about ideology and religion. Ideology and religion are instruments that these people use. Terrorism is about power, and terrorism is about money. And in spite of all of this, at the end, you do mention that there will be in the next few years certain strikes that might happen in India, but we can get better at it, and at the end, uh, perhaps it can be put down forever. Now, coming from you, who's been entrenched in this the, the environment, it gives quite a bit of hope for you know people on the other side like us. But uh, can you mention the reason, the justification behind that sweeping statement? My hope comes from empirical evidence. Uh-huh. We have several examples in the world and in our region where terrorism has been over. For instance, the Khalistani terrorism is more or less over. The earlier Assamese terrorism got over, though later on it uh, came up again in a different form. In Canada, you had uh, Quebecer nationalists who had taken an extremely violent form, and that is uh, over. In Central America, the entire subcontinent was infested with all kinds of insurgencies and terrorist activities in 1980s. And one day, Oscar Arias Sanchez, then president of Costa Rica, made a Central American peace plan and managed to put a lead on the whole thing. Northern Ireland signed a Good Friday peace accord uh, about 10 years ago. So you have lots and lots of examples of how terrorism has been put an end to through comprehensive strategies. Then you have examples in Sri Lanka where JVP and LTT, two very hardline organizations, have been uh, put an end to through repressive strategies. So using both uh, comprehensive reform as well as in some cases repression, we have lots of examples of terrorism being put an end to. If this could be possible everywhere else, why is it not uh, possible here? But we need to understand the real nature of terror, the motives of uh, terrorists, and address this through a package. Right, and that package in that sense would mean a cooperation from not just the government, but the business houses who seek, uh, like your article says, to perhaps put sanctions on certain countries or urge Americans. And the not European sanctions, people. not sanctions as much as uh, lobbying with uh, the Western powers. Right. Economy and trade goes a long way in negotiations these days uh, in the global arena. So use our business community 
to represent our case in the international fora so that you know the military aid that is probably diverted to terrorism that is reduced to countries like pakistan of course the aim is not to reduce economic aid or economic cooperation with pakistan that is not what we want to do but the aid that might go into military purchases or you know terrorist actions that should be reduced and for that we have to you know actively lobby and you know indian business groups have uh, shown that they can powerfully lobby in the case of uh, the nuclear deal that is signed so i think uh, what sandeep says in the article is uh, that uh, one of the three or four things that we can do is to uh, engage the international community through our uh, business contacts right uh, sandeep one final uh, question if you were to or if your team were to advise the the government of india in the situation that we have on hand uh, what are a couple of things that you will put up right up on the priority list and one thing that the indian government is doing is having talks with pakistan since a pretty long time and that there is certain amount of discomfort amongst indians who you know do, don't voice them as much but is that nothing takes place beyond those talks so assuming this as a background and knowing fully well that isi is are perpetrators of most of the attacks if not all what what are the things that you would put on the priority list if if you were to advise the government well first of all we must realize that 10 years ago the naxalites were not in the isi web but over the course of last 10 years slowly they have been absorbed so the isi is spreading its tentacles mm-hmm. and this is a known fact it's it's not a secret at all some of these things have to be put very formally on table in our talks with pakistan and specific demands have to be made about the conduct of their state and organs related to the state and secondly we do have to lobby in the countries which are providing military assistance to pakistan as far as economic and humanitarian aid to pakistan is concerned that is perfectly legitimate and they deserve it but as far as military assistance is concerned we have to lobby the west to ensure that this is reduced to the absolute minimum and further that there is a strong accountability of whatever military and economic assistance is given to pakistan and that it is not diverted to create uh, terror factories in the end what happens in uh, pakistan is known through open sources lashkar-e-taiba has 140 acre headquarters at mudirke near lahore they were given strategic land after 2611 attacks by pakistan government in muzaffarabad jaise mohammad has headquarters again spreading uh, across several acres just outside islamabad these are not secrets at all right. we have to demand a strong accountability mm-hmm. for something that is happening uh, which i would call daylight robbery so if the funny we... part is that in spite of all the information not much can be done because of certain fears of retaliation from the other side and perhaps our policy of not being the first ones to strike that's also part of the whole picture isn't it no no it's because we have a tendency to to be like a, a pendulum on a wall clock that either we want to be very cozy very friendly right. or we want to be warlike and neither of this will work uh, we have to have civilized relationship with pakistan whether we like it or not mm-hmm. it is a next door neighbor <clears throat> and there are areas of life where we must have proper civilized relationship like any two adults but at the same time uh, a civilized relationship does not mean that we accept anything and everything that they are doing and where they are doing something which is completely immoral unethical and illegal we should not accept it and we should find every ways and means to bring them to book i just want to add one thing abhishek see terrorism in india ha- has different facets nationalism or the terrorism that you face in northeast were not started by isi you know they have formed the linkages later 
but uh, there were certain supply demand dynamics happening in these places with or without pakistan uh, there were local conditions that were met and the supply demand curve converged and terrorism started there and the problem is with the way we govern the way we, our democratic institutions are maintained and the way we you know protect the dignity of the people let's not shift all the blame on one side and say that you know we fix isi and all our problems will be kind of solved no right that's only on the demand side but we have to take care of the supply, supply side, side. Well. yeah so that is when uh, the answers for terrorism will be found I think the the cover story addresses everything that the two of you have spoken and uh, I was just curious to know how long did it take for you guys to put this together uh, and it's definitely not in a month or it, it's got years of experience and insights in it so how long did it take for you to you put it all together and make a picture out of it Well Abhishek even in our first meeting we clearly knew that here was a story that is worth telling people mm-hmm. it was not a, a lab, laborious effort at all because uh, sandeep comes with uh, years of experience at looking at these and drawing parallels and making an objective analysis without any fear or favor or emotion we had the framework pretty much ready in our first discussion then it was only a matter of you know adding details fine tuning the uh, the arguments so that probably took two more three, three or more days but probably the story uh, couldn't have been done by uh, a typical journalist who gets into a story and uh, reports and talks to people this comes with a lot of experience and you know it's institutional knowledge of several years you know right. so that's it yes i think we'll know that from our listeners who can find this podcast out uh, on business.in.com as well as the indicas.com and uh, before we log off just uh, a note to all the listeners who are listening it will be great if you can pick up this issues uh, cover story and let us know what your feedback is thank you very much rini and especially sandeep for uh, doing this great thank, thank you. you abhishek thank, thank you sandeep thank you for your talking with you thank you so much and uh, you can subscribe to forbes india by messaging forbes to 51818 that's forbes to 51818 thanks again sandeep and uh, bye bye